Hi, and welcome to a podcast from Hope Springs Church Coventry. For more, please find us on Facebook at Hope Springs Church or on Twitter, we're at Hope Springs Cobb. Thank you and enjoy. Right, we'll make a start. Um, I might as well go through the motions of pretending like I'm going to be quick. Uh, (laughs) I always do. Um, So basically what we're going to do today is just do a bit of a recap uh, for the Barnabas uh, sort of series that Steve did. Um, And then maybe cover a bit of the renaming idea as well. Just to pick up, you know, post-summer, we've had a bit of a summer off and just been eating, having barbecues and stuff, um, which I think is immense. Uh, But yeah, just to kind of get us back on on track and, and get this stuff into our thinking. So how many people read through Acts over the summer? So I've been listening to Steve's podcasts, and then he said, if you could all be reading Acts, I was like, didn't do it. Although I do get holiness points for listening to the podcast, I think. So, um, so what I'm going to do is, I'm not, I'm not going to pick up everything that Steve especially shared on, obviously he shared over three weeks, um, but what I do want to do is encourage you to go and listen uh, to them. Um, not because, oh, you've got to listen to the church podcast, but actually there's a load of uh, really, really excellent points that Steve makes on a practical level about how this whole community thing will work and he covers some very difficult areas um, which is very brave of him and and I I think that I'm probably not going to pick that sort of stuff up because first of all I'm not my brain doesn't work the same as Steve so those things don't even occur to me Uh, but also because he's actually done the legwork already Uh, go listen to it don't miss out on those uh, little things because obviously when we start talking about a community that's inclusive that backs people that supports people that stands with the outsider and all of these things we can be like oh yeah that, that's that's really lovely you know we want to do that but actually when you start thinking about who the outsider could possibly be it it, it can actually have very severe implications and, and too often we operate on a knee-jerk basis of well that person we don't want or that person we don't want in or how are we going to work with these sorts of people um, and we have too often these uh, very shallow not thought out ideas of how to engage with people um, and, and Steve's brought out a lot of nuance so I just want to encourage you first and foremost to go and look at that. Uh, so to start or to, to give us a bit of context uh, can you turn with me to Philippians 2? And this is uh, this is one of my favourite uh, passages of scripture. It's got to be in the top, you know, one thousand or something. Um, just starting from the start. Uh, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one and of one mind. So to start off with. Paul's writing to a community. He's not writing to a person. So he's writing to a, a, a plurality of people. And there's this kind of, the oneness that he's talking about isn't just a random oneness, like uh, there's a oneness of Coventry City fans because they have the same support for the same team. But it's a oneness that comes from being in Christ. So that means that not everybody's the same. Not everybody's orientated the same. Not everybody shares anything in common. Um, and he's saying that you are one in Christ. Try and be one in Christ. And how how does this occur? How does this how is this accomplished? Uh, for want of a better word, it's because there is one spirit. There's one body. 
there's one Christ and it is operated through if you have any comfort if you have any compassion or tenderness if you've received any of that then please extend that and so that's how a community works first of all a community only works by give and take a community we are a community the church community we are not a union okay unions work because we all have the same goal and we're going to use our numbers as a battering ram and we're all going to face the same way much like an army we all face the same direction and we overwhelm things by numbers but that's not how a church community works a community works by the individuality of everybody so i'm unique in my own way luke's unique in his own way you know susie lydia everybody in this room is unique and we all bring something and so that requires a certain level of humility of compassion of love of laying down ourselves uh, to make space for everybody else and so carry on do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit rather in humility value others higher than yourselves and this isn't that kind of pseudo humble self-deprecating on oh, no, rubbish you do it kind of shirking responsibility type way that we love to do as christians you know that that classic scenario at the door oh no you go first you first you first you that like it's not that what it is is that basically we could set things up where you know so some of us will have certain giftings and then it becomes well you're a threat to me like i'm in competition with you to be better than you at certain things so it could be say uh, me and matt both play guitar and so we could choose if we wanted to to be like well who's the bigger terrorist i want more slots on sundays i want to play more and then when so when matt started coming along regularly and playing it's like oh i feel threatened somebody's going to horn in on my space but that's not what's going on in this community and hopefully that's not what we're engendering there's no sense uh, of well i'm trying to carve out my niche as this you know uber guitarist or something therefore no one else can come in and do that and i'm gonna you know subtly keep like sidelining him out or something or you know for steve because he, you know he preaches or leads the church he's not like threatened by say like me or adam or any you know or jez or trish like sharing on a sunday morning in fact he creates space so he'll say well no actually i'm not going to take that space and i'm going to invite somebody else to do it and so it requires this not inward facing um not this is my little bit but it's actually, actually i'm gonna i'm gonna be so secure in christ that i can invite other people to to ex- express themselves in certain ways that might actually step on my toes but actually i've died to myself in that respect and this sounds wonderful like, you know we all nod along and agree but actually it's tremendously difficult sometimes it's tremendously scary well this is my identity i am the guy that picks up the guitar i am the guy that shares the word or you know i am the worship leader or whatever it's just like sometimes we can find our identity in these things so much that it, it's actually an insecure place to be and so you know as a community we have to be real we have to be honest and it's going to be difficult in places you know like right now we're quite cozy and it, you know you know i don't think anybody feels particularly threatened by anybody else but you know if we're going to do what we're called to do then actually it's not going to be easy plain sailing we're going to have to do some serious soul searching and, and encounter ourselves honestly with a, a real humility rather in humility value others above yourself not looking to your own interests but each of you to the interest of others so pause recalibrating how we orient ourselves in the world in business you know well it's my career path it's my uh, personal development program it's my assessment at the end of the year this is these are my targets these are my goals and i've got to achieve 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 
and 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 if I have to you know step over people on my way, then so be it. But the church is engendering something different. So in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. And then we step into an early church hymn. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. And he humbled himself by becoming, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And our contention is, is that this, the cross, the incarnation of Christ, is the ultimate or the benchmark example of what real love looks like. Uh, in, in this day and age, love as a word has been co-opted uh, by Hallmark greeting cards and fluffy teddy bears, and it, it's become overly sentimentalised. Uh, we have the films, the, the really uplifting romance films, where at the end the guy gets the girl or the girl gets the guy, and there's some sort of catharsis in that, and we think that that is love, because it makes us feel good. But actually, love, you know, we only have to look at, say, like 1 Corinthians 13, and it's very real, it's very visceral, it's very difficult, and it happens over a period of time. It's not like an instant gratification. It, it happens over a period of time by journeying and walking through difficult things. Um, and so this is whole idea. If this community is going to work, then there is a laying down of self. Okay, and, and, and some of the stuff that Steve shared was very, was very, very good about how community works. Um, so again, I'm going to plug that. So the other day we went to Jam Jam Boomerangs. This is the natural theological progression. Uh, <laughs> what I'm saying. We went to Jam Jam Boomerangs. You've probably seen it on Facebook, I guess. But um, uh, it, was, it was fairly empty. And in, in, in Jam Jam Boomerangs, there's this little bit where they've got like, these little cars that the kids can sit in and push each other around like this little track. And, and Sarah and Emma... They've got their own cars and they're racing around this little thing. And then this little boy who was bigger than Sarah, but smaller than Emma, so I guess he's like three or four or something. He decided that he wanted Sarah's car. And so me and Nick are sat there at our table watching. And so he kind of stops Sarah in a car and he's demanding the car, as little kids are wont to do. And I'm like, you know, do we intervene? And then we see Emma get out of her car. Now this could go, you know, this could go two different ways. Knowing Sarah, she's kind of all one or the other. So either she's going to claw this kid's face off, or she's going to burst into tears. But Emma's been observant, and she's seen what's happening to Sarah. So I'm like, well, again, this could go two different ways because Emma's quite protective of her little sister when she's not you know bullying or whatever um she walks over to this little boy and it's like what's going to happen here is she going to like slam him or something because she is bigger than him and then you can see like she's kind of negotiating with this little boy like no no leave leave my little sister's car she's happy here you know and, and she said have my car and the little boy is adamant that he wants the one that sarah's in so Emma kind of goes off and brings her car around to the little boy. And the little boy is just stubbornly adamant about this car. You know what kids are like. I want the purple cup. Why? It holds just the same amount of liquid as the red one, but they want the purple one. And so Emma kind of backs the boy up, nothing like shovey or anything like that, and then gets Sarah out of the car and takes her to her car and puts Sarah in her car so that the little boy could have his car. And I was just like, that's amazing, because she didn't, fly off the hand you know like little kids can be quite temperamental so can 
little kids dressed as adults. Um, be temperamental. But I was just completely amazed. And, and you know, obviously it's my kids, so I'm going to see, see them in the best possible light. But I was just amazed because Emma was having so much fun in this car and she didn't have to give it up. She could have flattened this kid. She could have let the kid take her sister's car. But she lay it down and she preferred in this sense the enemy other over herself she didn't just prefer a little sister the one who's in her family that she loves that she knows she actually preferred this kid who was who was actually forcing himself on and she allowed that to happen and then you know afterwards it it all kind of transpired nicely and so Emma pushed Sarah around in this little car and then they swapped over so Emma got back in the car and Sarah was pushing around but it was just like a real lesson to me that it wasn't that she helped her sister but she helped this person that was on the outside coming in. That was the other. And she laid herself down. And, and to me, uh, that was just a real lesson of how this works. It isn't just the people that we like that we have to live out this message towards. You know, oh, I can love you with the love of Christ because I actually like you. <laughs> it's, I really struggle with you. Um, in fact, I disagree with everything you stand for. But somehow even if it means biting my tongue on a minute-by-minute -minute basis or like just having to count to ten before I flatten you, these are the people that we're going to encounter. And so to recap, uh, we're going to go, uh, basically just going to work through acts in a kind of methodical fashion. So Barnabas, as a Barnabas community, we need to live out what we talk about. Sometimes I find, especially for me, that my, my uh, thinking or my, my theology is about 20 paces down the road to actually what I incarnate. And that's always going to be the way. Our minds can imagine something far easier than it is to live it out. But hopefully this is a journey where we're always moving forward. So we're going to have to live this stuff out. And there is a preference in love for one another. And this community is going to be a place and a space, so we're not just talking physically, but kind of metaphysically as well, that people can be themselves without fear or insecurity, that people are trying to take their thing away from them, that actually that we create enough space and that we lay ourselves down enough that there is space for people to be themselves. And that sounds a bit like, well, I'm going to stop being myself to allow you to be yourself, but that's not what it is at all. It's about being secure that actually we can have a multitude of people that are kind of similarly orientated. You know, I've got how many fingers? I'm kidding, I know how many fingers I've got. <laughs> you know, but I've got that many fingers, or I've got this many bones in my body, and they all do similar things in some places, like my elbow is kind of similar to my knee, but they don't compete with each other, because that'd be really awkward, and my um, ability to walk would be significantly hindered if they did argue with each other. So this is going to be a place or a space where people can be themselves without fear, insecurity, posturing or competition. Um, a self-given, generous community of encouragement. So that's the idea behind Barnabas, son of encouragement. <coughs> a community that helps people on their journey and will fade into the background, not seeking fame or acclaim. And this is one of the things that I really love when Steve started talking about. This idea that actually we're not here to build Hope Springs. If there's... 20 people here in 20 years time that's fine we're not trying to fill an auditorium we're not trying to have Hope Springs Ministry 
We'll have the Hope Springs Ministry Crusade. We do have the Hope Springs Podcast, yes. <laughs> you know, and then we'll have Steve Elton publishing in the Hope Springs Ministries, and we have the book stall and everything. That's not what we're aiming for. But actually, it's just, if we can help you on your journey and you need to move on, that's great. So, so for example, Jane. Jane came along for a while, but it was actually far more convenient for her to go to a local church. This is going to come through on the thing, you know. <laughs> but then it's great because it's not this sense of, oh, we're in competition with whatever church Jane now goes to. We, we need to wrestle with them for Jane because we're trying to create Hope Springs Ministry. It's like, well, you know what? If that's where Jane needs to go, that's fantastic. We've loved having Jane with us. You know, it doesn't exclude her from coming to church barbecues or whatever things we have going on. We, we can still love on Jane, but it's like, you know, be blessed. You know, where you are, genuinely, if that's more helpful and more useful and you find more fulfillment there, that's great. You know, you don't have to say, oh, I was formerly of Hope Springs. Or when, you know, when the history of Christianity and Coventry gets written. Then we make sure that we are like footnoted and anecdoted everywhere in that book. But actually, so Jew is another great example. You know, this guy, first time in commentary from North Korea. Well, fine, you know, go to Edinburgh. Can we help you get established there? Is there anything we can do to help you do that? You know, we're not going to try and talk you into staying in commentary. So it's like, if we can bless you that you move on, that's wonderful. And this is all at the heart of like a Barnabas type community. A community that stands with the outsider, stands aside to create space for other people to flourish, that stands with people through their failure. And so this is going to require difficult things, a laying down of ourselves. It's going to require an honesty. And not the honesty that is actually just an excuse to be mean. Okay, I'm speaking the truth in love. You know, Christians, we love to use that, don't we? Um, But it's going to require truth talking. And it's going to require a lot of forgiveness and patience. Now these things are difficult. I don't know if you've ever had um, an argument where you are right. It'd be a waste of time having an argument if you're wrong. So you're adamant that you're right, but the other person is also adamant that they're right. I mean, you know they're wrong, of course. And then to actually reconcile that argument, you say sorry. And you've got all of the reasons why you're right. And you've got all of the ideas of why they're wrong. And they're all queued up. Um, I mean, maybe you guys don't suffer from this. I, I do. <coughs> Terribly. <laughs> Just ask Nick. Um, but the point is this. Is that the breakdown in communication is both people's fault. It doesn't matter who's wrong or right. Because you're not, rightness or wrongness does not carry a relationship. It's being responsible in that relationship. So you can say sorry for the breakdown of communication. And if you need to, you have to hold your tongue to explain to the person why your sarcastic remarks were correct. Okay. And it's about taking responsibility in the relationships. And it requires wisdom and insight and maturity. And a maturity that I do not currently possess. But it will require a maturity, a willingness to be misunderstood. I'm okay if you misunderstand me. It's not an eagerness. Now let me get this right. I'm not eager to be misunderstood, because that'd be stupid. But I'm okay with being misunderstood. If I don't present myself or articulate things correctly, then I'm okay to be misunderstood until we can reconcile that. And the greater thing is this, is that if we find ourselves 
So imagine we're in the, in the US, this is the easiest kind of straw man idea to, to put up. And, 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 and Trump, Donald Trump is taking a lot of heat for whatever thing he's done recently or whatever he's tweeted recently. And then you actually stand up and say, hey, wait a minute, maybe we shouldn't keep just barbing at him and shouting him down and just painting him out to be this idiot, but recognise actually that he's a person with a family, that he's part of a political system that is intrinsically broken. People are going to misunderstand me and think that I am a Trump supporter, that I'm a misogynist or a racist or whatever else people are willing to portray me as by my association with this. So there's a willingness to stand with the outsider, but that also means a willingness to be misunderstood, misconstrued, slandered, or whatever it takes. It's difficult. There's also a preparedness to be taken advantage of or to be seen as naive. This doesn't mean that we want to be taken advantage of or that we put ourselves, you know, knowingly in situations where we will be. But let's face it, if we want to work with uh, the lost, the least, the last and the littlest, if we want to work with, say, like, people in society that have got nothing and then you start offering them something, some people are not going to be honest and say, well, I've taken enough to get me by. Some people are going to take everything they can take off you. But if we're going to love people and pour ourselves out, we have to face that challenge. And we can't just be like, oh, well, we'll set you know, X, Y, Z in place and then it'll be all fine. Because policy and thinking like that, it, it is naive at best. Situations, every situation you encounter, every person you encounter is going to be a nuanced situation. It will not be a template situation that you can resolve. We're dealing with real people in real situations. We are not um, an organisation. We're a community. Families don't work that way. How I don't know about you guys, but when you read parenting books, it says this is how to deal with your child when they decide to freak out in an aisle at Tesco. Do X, Y, Z. I've read you know, countless parenting books that say, you know, this is how to deal with your child in a non-embarrassing, um, non-volatile way to defuse the situation. How many times have I accomplished this blueprint? None. Zero. Big flat zero. Because my child isn't exactly like the person in that book, and I am definitely not like the child psychologist that wrote that book. Which is the same when we're encountering society. It's not that we want this to happen. Of course we don't want to be taken advantage of. But it will happen. And as a community, if we decide to set out on this journey, we have to face these realities and not be surprised when it happens. So... The reason why this whole Barnabas kind of thing kicked off, other than the, the vision from Stephen Susie, is because Adam brought a prophetic word about being a renaming community, and Adam shared wonderfully, uh, just ridiculously good, again, check out the podcast, about what it is to be a renaming community. But the gist of it is this, is that in the Bible, when people get renamed, it's because they've, 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 got, they've reached an end of possibility in their old name. Abram had reached the end of the possibility of being a father, but he was renamed Abraham, and there was a new possibility. Saul had reached the end of possibility as a persecuting Pharisee, and he was renamed Paul and became the greatest theologian of the church. We could talk about others. We could talk about um, Jacob becoming Israel. He reached the end of possibility as the, the, the subverter, the twisted one. 
but he was renamed the one who wrestles with God because he did wrestle with God and it gave him possibility to become a people promise comes when we rename people and it's not that we're going to go um I don't know if you've seen that episode of Big Bang Theory where um is that, are people familiar with uh, Big Bang Theory so Barry Kripke which is like a really lechy uh t- professor at the same place with all of the usual guys and, and he meets Penny for the first time and he says oh what's your name and, and she says Penny says hmm that's not very sexy. I'm going to call you Waxam. <laughs> just because. That's not what the renaming thing is. That's just ridiculous. Well, I, I'd like to be called The Hulk. <laughs> That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is invigorating hope into people. So areas that have been written off or people that have been written off and marginalised, we can say, no, you are not. We can call out the hope, the possibility, and introduce them to new hope and new horizons. Um, and invite them to be part of the name the family whose name is derived from the father in heaven so mm-hmm. Ephesians 3 so then on to Barnabas then so if you want to turn with me to Acts 4 um, I'll try and get through this a little bit quick <clears throat> so I love this bit I've been kind of thinking about this bit for a while so Acts 4 verse 36 and 37 Joseph a Levite from Cyprus whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So the context of this is that kind of, well, we sentimentally look back and think it was the perfect community where the believers share their positions and they have all things in common. And then they make a special note at the end of chapter four. And then there was this guy, Joseph, who we renamed Barnabas, who sold his field and came and put it at the apostles' feet. And then what follows after that is, the story of Ananias and Sapphira, who also sell a field and bring some of the money to the apostles' feet. So in this thing, you've got this, this um, perfect community that they're kind of outlining in, in chapter 4. And then as a uh, means of exemplifying that community, they, they, they talk about this guy Barnabas. So this is our first introduction to Barnabas. So let's just have a look at it. He sold a field he owned and he brought it and put it at the apostles' feet. So what he's done is he's laid down his territorial rights to be part of a community. He's preferred the community over his own ability to make wealth, over his own territory. So we could, we could take that in an allegorical way and we could say, well, um, I've laid down my territorial rights to be in the guitarist in the band, to make space for other people to be in that. Because okay? I've preferred community over my own territory you know we talk about you know we talk about marking our territory we don't literally mean that we go around weighing in the corners of the room but we mean that we're staking out this is my area of influence but actually Barnabas has laid that down in favor of the community and then that is juxtaposed with Ananias and Sapphira who only partially did that they only partially entered in and so I'd say that we could with Augustine kind of read the story of Ananias and Sapphira allegorically so they didn't literally die but they died to the community because they weren't part of the community you know so their example was well we sold our field and we will give you a little bit and we'll keep some back so are they part of the community well they're hedging their bets aren't they so they're not fully entered into the community so figuratively they've died to the community so what do we learn about this then so he gives up his territory right so he's got a generosity of heart the same uh, thing that was in Christ that Paul exhorts in Philippians preferring the other laying down your rights to prefer the other is in Barnabas 
um, this self-giving love is a central aspect of Barnabas. This is one of the, you know, this is the thing that we learn about him first. And this is the thing that we have to keep in mind when we encounter him again and again. This, this self-giving generosity. And so, um, as an aside, we won't go there too much, but initially he was based in Jerusalem. So this is happening in Jerusalem. But then later on he moves to Antioch. Now, this is significant because Jerusalem church is the original church. But later on, another, another kind of uh, major gathering of Christians happens in Antioch. And in Antioch is where they're first called Christians. And so what we find is there's, a, there's almost like a theological battle between Jerusalem and Antioch. And in Galatians, Paul talks about it. Um, and the idea is, is that Jerusalem is wanting to drag people back into like, the traditional Judaism. But it, it's, and then Antioch is this forward thinking, well, the Gentiles can be included and they don't have to go and be circumcised. And all these other kind of Jewish roots that the, the Antioch church are saying, no, we can't do that to these people. It means nothing for Gentiles, so we shouldn't be doing it. And there's this battle. And so what we see is that Barnabas makes this transition from Jerusalem way of thinking, for want of a better way, phrase, to this Antioch way of thinking. And that's an aside, but it's an important aside. Uh, so go away, read Galatians, and see Paul's conflict. Paul epitomises Antioch thinking. Peter and James epitomise Jerusalem thinking. And then see how they clash heads <laughs> In, um, in Galatians, it's quite funny. So one of the things that's been suggested about Barnabas is that he somehow sees or perceives something in people, and this is what enables him to carry out his gift. This is what enables him to engage with Paul. But I'd suggest this, that there's a little bit of a danger with that, um, it, without seeing it in a nuanced way. Because if seeing something special in someone is the focus... If that's the reason why we choose to love someone, our disposition will always be, well, I see something special in that incredibly rich, wealthy, influential individual, influential individual over and above that nobody that's on the street. I'm going to see the potential in that guy because even if it's not overt, but it's somewhere deep down in my psyche because I know he's going to further my cause. Over and above the guy that can bring nothing will subconsciously favour one over the other. So if it's all about what I perceive in you, can I see the gold in you? Well, it's a lot easier to see the gold in somebody that's really nice than it is to see the gold in the, the, the ex-soldier who served in Afghanistan who's got PTSD and he's completely antisocial and would just swear at you because he's drunk. I'll find it far easier to look after or see the God in somebody oh you, you're a Christian and you used to be a pastor and you've had a hard time at this other church and you need some help yeah I'm, I'm with you this guy's just cursing me out and threatening to beat me up not so sure if it's about my perception I could say it's prophetic but we know that's just dressing but what I want to suggest is this that the reason why Barnabas engages with people like Paul it's because he just sees Paul as the next person that he can pour himself out for. Because we've already seen that he's sold his field and given it to the community. So Paul's just the next guy that I can sell my field for and bring to the community. So then, that brings me nicely on to standing with the outsider. So turn with me to Acts 8. So let's just set the scene here. So Stephen's just been stoned to death. And Saul approved of their killing him. 
On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Now this is like, we're not fuzzy about who the enemy is here. Like, Saul is not a nice man. Okay, you know in films when they need you to understand who the baddie is, and it's really, really obvious because he's the guy with the German accent that is always in dark shadows and he has to do something atrocious to children or women. Just so we know that, you know, Bruce Willis or Sylvester Sloan is fully justified in decapitating him at the end of the film. You know, Paul is definitively the baddie. Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, associated with Saul, a great persecution broke out. Everybody was scattered, except the heroes, the apostles. Um, Godly men, not like that ungodly guy, buried Stephen. And Saul began to destroy the church. Luke, writing Acts, is absolutely, unequivocally clear that Paul, Saul at this point, is the baddie. And Saul is a catalyst. So here's somehow, in the text, his approval of the killing of Stephen is linked to a breaking out of persecution. So this tiny microcosm of persecution escalates quickly, and there's something to do with Saul in that escalation. Okay, the text links them together. And this is happening in Jerusalem. So in case we're fuzzy, they turn to uh, Acts 9. The start of Acts, uh, Acts 9, verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple called Ananias. So we've moved from Jerusalem, we've gone to Damascus. Okay, so the geography is important. Uh, and the Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord said to him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus called Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come to that place and lay his hands on him to re- restore this site. So God is directly speaking to Ananias. If you count up the number of times God directly speaks to somebody in the New Testament, it's very limited. So this is very, very important. He's saying to Ananias, there's this guy called Saul. Yes, the Saul that killed, that was there when Stephen got killed, the one that was going from house to house, taking away, yes, women and men. I want you to go to him. So Ananias is having somebody, God, directly speak to him and tell him to do this. And this is Ananias' response. Um, where are we? Lord, Ananias replied, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. So the answer isn't yes, Lord. You know, because we like to think if God spoke to me, it'd be yes. Uh, God, I've got, I've got some reservations about this dude. Um, have you, do you know what he's been doing? This is what Ananias is saying. Um, and he has come here with authority from the chief of priests to arrest all uh, who call on your name. But the Lord said, for the second time, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to the kings and to the people in Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Which is nice. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placed his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me that you may see again. Okay, so God has spoken directly to Ananias. And he's a member of the church. He's hearing God, obviously. And he has reservations about who God is telling him to go to. That guy is really bad. He's a nasty piece of work, God. I'm not so sure that you should be sending me there. This is how the church views Saul at this time. But then, 
our favourite phrase, verse 26, but Barnabas. So Paul, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas. This guy isn't just an outsider. He is feared as the enemy that is finding his way into the church to kill it. Ananias, after being spoken to by God directly, still had reservations about this guy. The believers in Jerusalem still had issues about, no, he's just faking it, he just wants to get inside, he wants to find us all out, and he's going to destroy us. But Barnabas, but Barnabas, and that sets off a chain of events that leads to um, a massive theological understanding of who Christ is as the Messiah. At this time, Peter still doesn't know what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah. After this, Peter has God have to tell him. You still got it wrong, mate. You spent three years with him and you didn't get it. You spent 40 days with him after he was raised from the dead and he was specifically talking to you about the kingdom and you still didn't get it. And now God has to intervene directly in Peter's thinking to help him see who Jesus really is. But Paul's already got it. Barnabas somehow, and I'd suggest that it's not some miraculous prophetic power, but actually he sees there's fear here and that needs to be overcome in love. So I'm going to reach out to this guy, but Barnabas. And so he stands with Saul. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem. Barnabas vouched for this guy. He took him to the Jerusalem leadership and said, I know there is fear here, but this guy's all right. I'm going to put my reputation on the line for him in front of you, but Barnabas. And so that's in Jerusalem. So standing with the outsider does not mean that we 100% agree with whoever we're standing with. It doesn't mean that I condone whatever this person has done. Because sometimes we think of the outsider as the poor. Or like we have these kind of rosy, romanticised ideas of, you know, when Jesus gets in the dirt with a prostitute. That's horrific. Can you imagine if, you know, one day if Steve was preaching and then a prostitute walked in and said, oh, he's really helped me, he looked after me. I don't know what that would do for you, Susie. (laughs) It'd be very difficult, wouldn't it? There would have to be some serious conversations going on. But the point is this, Jesus got into the dirt with the prostitute, he didn't get into bed with her. It doesn't mean that he agreed with her being a prostitute, whether it was by her choice or not. He said, go and sin no more. Okay, he didn't, he didn't get into bed with her, he got into the dirt with her and he stood alongside her. So, standing with the outsider doesn't mean you agree with them. It doesn't mean you, you back them in everything they're doing. But it does mean that you stand with them and see them through whatever they're going through. Okay, moving on quickly then. Uh, Standing aside, so turn to Acts 11 now, verse 22. So what's happened here is that somehow there's been a massive influx of believers into the Antioch church. And this is great. News of... News of this reached the church in Jerusalem. So Barnabas and Saul are still in Jerusalem, but something's happened over in Antioch. So news of this reaches Jerusalem. 
and the church decides to send Barnabas. So this is really intriguing, because again, this is, this is an insight into who Barnabas is. Out of all the people they could have sent, they could have sent James, the brother of Jesus, you know, they could have sent John, they could have sent Peter, you know, any of the original apostles, you know, the twelve that are named at the start of Acts, they could have sent anybody, but who do they choose to send? There's a, there's a whole bunch of new Christians that have no clue which way is up, who are we going to send? They send Barnabas. Okay, why? Because he can encourage them, he can nurse them, he can bring them through in whatever language you want to talk about. But he, he can go and encourage these people and look after them because they don't know what they're doing. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. So the people who say what is cool in the church the Jerusalem leadership, they send Barnabas and say, Barnabas, you're the guy to sort this out. Barnabas gets there and says, actually, I'm not. I need to go and get Saul. So Barnabas goes to Tarsus and gets Saul. So he says, look, my gifting, my expertise, my brilliance is not enough for this situation. Now, he could have postured. I don't know how many of you guys have done this, but you kind of fake it, don't you? Oh, well, I've had this great honour, so I'm just going to fake it as if I know what I'm doing. But no, he was brave enough to say, actually, I'm not equipped to deal with this. What we need is this guy. So Barnabas lays down his territorial rights. He sells his field for the benefit of the community and brings somebody else in. And this is happening at Antioch. And then over a period of time... We, talk, we, we see it in uh, chapter 13, it's Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul do this, Barnabas and Saul do that, Barnabas and Saul do this. And then all of a sudden, it becomes, at one point, verse 13, Paul and his companions. doesn't even mention Barnabas. Barnabas is just one of Saul's mates. And then it becomes, after that, Paul and Barnabas. So Barnabas is vouched for this guy who is the outsider and then he realises my gifting isn't sufficient or my ability or whatever it is is not sufficient for this situation. So again, going back to the guitar playing metaphor, you know what, I can't play this. I'm not able to do this bit. Matt, can you come and do it? Rather than, I'm going to fake it, I'll just play three chords G, C, D. Which would be fine in Christian songs because that's all there. But... Saying actually, we need, I can't bring what is needed in this situation, so I'm going to lay aside my right to be the, ah, the minister or whatever it is, and I'm going to make space for somebody else to come and take the limelight, to take the acclaim, to take whatever it is that I might think is success. Symbolically, he becomes the second fiddle to Paul. And that's how the, the New Testament progresses. So we have to be willing, you know, actually, we don't have what it takes to meet the needs of the poor on the streets of Coventry. We don't have what it takes to reach out to the refugees coming to Coventry. But you know what? We know somebody who does. We'll, we'll, we'll support Carriers of Hope instead. Mm. You know what? We don't have the equipment or the reach to get to the people who live in homelessly. But we know somebody who does. Mm. God's Coffee Shop So hey, why don't we get some resources for there and see how we can help there. And that's going to keep going on. So, standing through failure... Uh, so, we're kind of backtracking in time a bit, but this is a different theme. So, Acts twelve twenty five. So, they're just about to set off on some mission uh, from, Jeru- from, Jeru- uh, from Antioch now. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, who is also called Mark. 
so John Mark. So this is where we first meet Mark, and this is in Antioch. And so uh, they go on this missions trip. I don't know if any of you have ever been on missions trips, but sometimes they get a bit freaky and it can be a bit um, discouraging. So Paul and Barnabas, they set sail to Cyprus. And they go to Cyprus and they meet with this intelligent proconsul, so a leader of uh, the people. And, and they evangelise him, however you want to think about that. And, and, and then there's this uh, sorcerer called Elimas that kicks off with them and they have some sort of battle with this guy. Uh, eventually the proconsul guy is, becomes a Christian and then they leave Cyprus. So they've gone all that way, had some big dust up with some crazy dude, seen one person saved and, and gone back. So if we want to talk about, you know, we like to kind of businessify, I don't even know that's the word, uh, Christianity, you know, we want to talk about measurables, we want to talk about goals and numbers, you know, how many people have you evangelised, etc. Uh, really kind of superfluous questions. But in, in the eyes of everybody else, you, wait a minute, you spent all that money and all that time and all that effort going to this place and all you've done is angered somebody there and seen one person save, not worth it. Mark leaves them. You know that episode of Friends where Jerry's talking about your big lever, you went and left, your big lever. So Mark leaves them. Mark abandons them after this tough mission trip. So that's what we need to know about Mark. He left them. He was a loser. Big lever. But then, Acts 15, we see again Barnabas championing the, the outsider. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Hey, I've got a good idea. Why don't we go and visit all the believers we've ever met in all the towns we've ever been to, preaching the word of the Lord, and see how they're all doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take them because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. So fine. Well, this guy didn't hack it last time. It's Paul's contention. Why would we ever take him again? He failed. He failed the test. He's not a good missionary. He's not fit to come on this journey with us. And Barnabas and Paul, they were good mates because they've been through thick and thin together. Barnabas was the guy that stuck by, stood by Saul, saw him become Paul, and saw him become the leading light in the church at that time. And he decided that he was going to stick by this loser, failure mark in the face of, you know, the sensational megastar evangelist Paul. And he faced him down. They had such a sharp disagreement. And in Galatians, again, Paul talks about this, and it, it's not, that's nice. They just had a disagreement. That they parted company, and Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. And Paul took Silas and carried on to wherever they were going. The point is this, is that Paul is now the megastar of the early church. Right, and Barnabas, his horse is hitched to that wagon. If Barnabas was all about success, well, I've got to stay near this guy because he's going to make it, and I'm going to be seen with this guy. But again, we know that that's not what Barnabas is like. He doesn't care about that, and he says to Paul, "You know, the same heart in me where I picked you." And vouched for you and stood by you. Yeah, when you were still associated with killing Stephen and the persecution breaking out. Well, that same heart in me is pouring itself out for this guy, Mark. 
You call him a failure, a loser, an outsider. He cannot pass muster. But I'm telling you, I'm going to pour myself out for this guy and he's going to be all right. And where does he take him though? This is really cool. Where did Mark fail? After a mission trip to Cyprus. Where does Barnabas go with Mark? To Cyprus. Because when we stand through failure, we're not saying it's okay. We're not condoning however that person failed. There's still a mess to be cleaned up. There's still consequences. And this is where you really have to listen to Steve. So it's part three that he talks about this. But we will still stand with you. If you are in prison for doing something immensely stupid or immensely vicious, you have to serve your time. We will revisit where you have failed. But you know what? I'm going to stand with you. And what happens in 2 Timothy? So that's probably the last letter Paul ever writes when everybody has abandoned him. He writes and says, please send me Mark. Because the guy who was a big old lever after Cyprus is now somebody when everybody else is leaving, I want by me. Now catch this, because that sounds rosy and we can sentimentalise that. Because we could say, oh well, you're a paedophile and I'm going to stand with you so much that you can be in charge of our kids' ministry. That is just stupid. Okay, but that's, the, that, that's, that's kind of where our minds go. Well, Mark was a big lever in Cyprus, but he eventually became the guy that I want with me when everybody else fails me. That's not the point. The point is that I'm going to see this guy come through to be free of his mistakes, to be safe again to society. I'm not going to put them in stupid places. I'm not going to stand with an alcoholic and say, hey, do you want to come on a beer tasting tour of a brewery? Because that's just stupid. We're not called to be stupid. We're called to be wise. I'll love that person so they're no longer an alcoholic. But I'm not going to put them in harm's way. So, being loving and seeing the best and standing with and including someone does not exclude consequences. It does not exclude hard, difficult conversations. And it does not exclude honesty. Mate, that was clearly stupid. And you're in a whole lot of mess because of that thing. But that doesn't mean I'm going to abandon you. Doesn't mean I'm going to say it's okay. But I just won't abandon you. And so to be a Barnabas community is to be a community of individuals who will give up, who will sell our fields and bring whatever proceeds there are and lay it at the feet of the community. And that's every single time, whether it's with the Paul or whether it's with the Mark. So whether it's with the outsider or whether it's with the failures. So I'm going to finish there. Okay, so, but go and listen to the podcast, please. They're very good. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Thanks, buddy.